This is Morning Black coming to you from uh, being sheltered in uh, with the wise counsel of some some guest speakers here and also the, the engineering expertise of our brother Byron Martin helping us uh, record another new content show. Today's show is going to be dealing with political, political uh, police reform, police reform and then political reform. We're going to talk about that as well. Uh, so I'm going to ask each of you all to just kind of uh, update us how you're doing, what you're doing. I'm going to start off with uh, uh, Dr. Hearn, Dr. Hearn, Christina Hearn. Uh, tell us how you've been doing and what you've been dealing with and how has all of the pandemic and the protest been impacting you? All right. So um, I'll say our ment mental space right now is, I'll say it's a little bit all over the place. You know what? I don't even think that's the right appropriate words because I think that's trying to put a, a little nice bow on it. I think right now, mental space is, I'm pissed off, right? Like we are at the point of where so much has been talked about the COVID-19 pandemic and yet we as a country fail to recognize that racism is also a pandemic. And so in the line of work I do um, in terms of academic accommodations and just accommodations for students with disabilities, um, both me and Zeb, I probably will talk about this um, because of some work we're doing. Frustrated that no one is realizing that this is a pandemic that we also that racism is a pandemic that we also need to be addressing. Um, not just in these pretty little marches where everyone has their Black Lives Matter sign, but what is the actual work that we're doing towards an equitable society? Um, and so that's kind of where I'm pushing for right now. I have also had some other conversations with just friends about what are we doing to build our community. Um, and so that's kind of where I am. I think if everyone, when they talk to me, is how has COVID affected you? And yes, COVID has affected in some ways the line of work I do, but what has affected me every day of my life is being a black woman in America. Tell us again what your line of work is. Give us your title. So I am the director of the Access and Accommodation Resource Center of Valparaiso University, as well as the ADA Compliance Officer. Thank you. All right. Welcome, welcome, Zebra Dyes. Good seeing you. I like that hair. I like the curlies. That's the, you like that? that? You like yeah, that? I like that. I like that. You did, you went New York on me. Tell us what you've been doing. What you what you been doing, Zebra um, Daily, like yeah. So the first and foremost, that's always going on. Um, but what I would say, making a transition out here to Cornell, I'm the director of student disability services at Cornell. Um, but as it relates to COVID nineteen, and I think about craniology and how comorbidity is a great example for white people to be able to accept uh, that black people, are, it's not COVID, but it's the underlying conditions and not really wanting to pack the underlying conditions. Uh, when I think about what's going on in the community, uh, we're going to get to this later with police brutality. Uh, it's no longer asking me why, but uh, the white people asking themselves why, because uh, there's nothing I can say or do because I don't got the power. Uh, regardless if I got the answer. Uh, so for me, it's just being realistic. I think what's highly important is for us to start talking about, you know, humanity from the good, the bad, and the ugly, as the great Dr. Martin would say. But also making lynching not like George Ford just being lynched, George George Floyd just being lynched out there, but what, how, what type of lynching happened in our workplace? When are black people being lynched in a workplace? And what does that mean? So uh, that's kind of where I'm at, and uh, just glad to be in time and space with y'all. 
All right, Byron, how you doing? I, I see a scowl on your face. What's going on, brother? How you doing? Oh, I'm 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 doing all right. You know, um, I think this is definitely a, a a time where we need more and more discussions. I've spent the last couple of weeks on phones with young people and students, some of our students, and and uh, you know, even some of our former students, alums, you know, that are now alums are reaching out and just. Saying okay, what what? How do we need to get in motion right now? And and for me, I, I think um, it's making sure we get everybody caught up to speed. I, one of the things that moments like right now in our experience right now, um, sometimes they infuriate me, and I have to check my emotional self, not just because of the deaths, but also because of the awakenings, right? And I have to make sure I don't get mad at people that are just now waking up because of this death i have to i have to check my i have to check my yeah, privilege of experience um, yeah i just posted that <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah. i've been having a, I've been like what do you mean how how, how how didn't you know like stop stop saying I, I never knew like how didn't you know like what where you been living like and so i gotta i gotta check me because the end of the day is getting to the goal the goal is for um us to be truly free and so it, it, it just because they're just now coming on board, like um, at least they're they're getting on board. But um, in the work that I do, which is equity and inclusion work, and have been doing the last I don't know, 10, 12 years, one of the things that becomes frustrating is that um, you've been doing this so much, and you've been having these conversations so much that now um, I'm I don't know. The last five summers, it feels like I've had to have like these conversations. Um, about somebody getting like black men, black women getting killed by the police through the summer, and and having to think and plan deeply. What does that mean when students get back? What does that mean? What should we be doing? I'm like, y'all, like I'm. I don't want to. I really don't want to have more conversations. I, I really just want to give some directives and let's let's you know, in the words of uh, Beyonce, let's go and get in formation and do what we got to do. Like I'm, I'm kind of tired of of having the, the talks with, with people and and, and and slowly running out of energy for that in some way yeah i'm with you on that i'm tired of giving the whole damn world a talk you know like people have to give their sons a talk shit I'm, i've been giving you know the whole world a talk <laughs> you know and, and you know that that's a, fl a frustrating thing for me as well okay so today folks we want to talk about police reform we're going to start off with police reform then we're going to look at political reform and then we want to talk about is there can we find a, a local or national black political agenda and if if so what is it and and can we come up with some specific items that need to be on that platform so we're going to move uh, we're going to narrow down to police reform first then we're going to deal with political reform and as a larger issue and then we're going to talk about very specifically we're going to end up with what is uh from your estimation, the agenda for a black political uh, agenda and reform process that we need to be involved in. Okay, so what, from your perspective, uh, Christina, what, what's, what's needed? What is police reform to you and, and why is it needed? So for me, when I'm thinking of police reform, um, for me, ultimately, it's needed because when we think about police, they are hired to protect and serve, right? They are the representation of the state. And so when we continuously have these killings 
of black people, um, it's it's not acceptable. It's one also saying what this it perpetuates the systematic racism of what our state, what our legislators, what what the world thinks about us, and for them to continuously not be charged. No, let me not say charged because we get charges, we don't get convictions, and sometimes we don't even get charges. But for this to continuously happen, it's saying continuously, it's creating this sense of trauma in the black community. So for us, we need reform. I think for me, I'm for defunding police departments um, because I think that there are so many other things that we should be giving this funding to. We have police officers in schools, but we don't have social workers. We have police officers in schools, but some schools don't have adequate books in our, in, in our community. We, ha- we see security guards at the front doors of so many black and brown schools, but in those same schools, they don't have adequate materials. And so for me, I think we need to reform police, we need to reform communities. And part of that reform is defunding and reforming police departments so that they, so that we realize that we're giving communities the things that they need. In addition to that, I think for me, while so much, it just doesn't make sense to me that we don't give police adequate training um, in terms of cultural competence. And so many people will continuously say, oh, well, we're doing this cultural competence training and we're doing this and we're doing that. Well, it doesn't show. And so we need to think about where is that lack and the fact that you can see black and brown people. And the first thing that is always said is, oh, I fear for my life. Why is my life? Why is my brother's lives? Why are the men of color that I love, why are they continuously seen as threats? Um, and so that for me is the very surface level of where reform needs to lie. Okay. All right. Zeb, Zeb, what is what is police reform for you? Uh, police reform for me is um, understanding why police were created in the first place, and it had to do with slavery and land and human human cattle and that kind of stuff, and understanding how black folks were originally treated from it. Uh, understanding the root cause of when people say law and order, how that's connected back to an Anglo-Saxon type of racial type of um, thing. And so when people talk about defunding, I'm all for it because if you can't defund it, then you can't reform it. And so the principle has to come to a protection serving that we use that lingo that's not necessarily what goes on. Um, I think Christina alluded to it when you're talking about what's lacking in our communities. If we're funding the police department, uh, we're not giving our community the opportunity to come out of the poverty that it's in. Uh, poverty and criminality is linked to one another. And so when you link in those things, if we don't have the appropriate education and not outside of just education, because we need that for the kids, but we also need jobs and resources for the adults in the community. So they don't have to need in a certain way that put them in positions to have to be uh, in criminal ways to try to eat and survive and pay for their family. And so I think about it in a holistic level. I also think about it with a reform standpoint that you shouldn't be able to police that community if you don't live in it. Uh, you shouldn't have to build community relation. If I live in a community, I don't got to build a relationship. And so that's part of it, too. And so uh, when there's people policing you that don't look like you, it doesn't work. And so uh, also uh, we got to go back to some of the Black Panther Party. We got to start policing our community. When Vice Lords and Gangster Disciples started, it was to police our community. Black doctors, black lawyers, make sure no women were being raped, making sure the kids were eating, all that kind of stuff. I just think it's a um, awakening. The way I think about it now is um, something is dying while something is being born. Uh, Trump is a part of what's you know wrong with us and what's going on that's dying. And it's a rebirth going on and how you see these people out here protesting and acting. Uh, and it's all based around a value gap. 
they devalue black bodies, black mind, black soul. And so if the reform isn't around value, regardless of what law you put in place, civil rights example, if we don't talk about that devaluing of black bodies, black minds, black souls, we're not reforming anything. All right. All right. And then and and we're going to finish up. Dr. Martin, Byron, what you think? Yeah, I think uh, police reform, when we start talking about that, we have to talk about um, not just the, the end goal, but how do we get there is, is an important conversation for me because um, I appreciate you know what, what, what Christina and Zebediah both said. Um, I w we'll differ a, a little bit. I think we need to um, be a little bit, as citizens, have a little more oversight over police departments. Um, I don't think we can inside of the way that our world is set up, I don't know if we can defund and they totally go away because my fear is uh, uh, people gonna get into that wild, wild west mentality. And so, uh, because while you get rid of police departments, that I means you're getting rid of sheriffs too. <laughs> like, you know, like we're just talking about getting rid of the local constabulary, the police department, but then we still have the sheriff's department that are still doing things and are still uh, culpable in a lot of these situations. And, and how do we, um, navigate some of those those aspects. So I think one of the things we need to do, we need to reform. I, I say we need to reform it in three ways. One, we need to have citizen oversight over the police departments, period. Um, point blank and period. Every every city needs to have, in my opinion, um, an, an elected uh, oversight board for, um, for, for its police department. Um, and I'm not talking about city council, you know, I'm talking about somebody that is dedicated, right, um, to have that. Uh, the reason I say elected is because I think each individual area should have representation on that. So we don't want it just to be appointed and we go get all the fat cats and they're the only ones on the, on the, uh, on the oversight. So I think, I think we need that uh, healthy citizen oversight. Um, the, the next piece I think we need to do is to hire more than just patrol officers and inside the police departments, right? So if that's where the money's gonna be, and we're, we're intent on that being the money, then great, I need to see them do more than just military tactics and tactics training, right? Like I wanna see social workers, and I want to see psychologists in the police department. That's that, maybe we start dispatching some of those on some of these situations, right? I want to see peace officers. And when I say peace officers, I wanna see people that are not carrying weaponry um, we need a disability things. and accommodation officer. Huh? huh? We need a disability and accommodation officer. Definitely need that. Oh, that's, but that, but that's what I'm saying. We need social folks that are equipped um, to handle folks that have mental illnesses, that have these other things that are operating inside their lives, besides somebody walking in with a gun. Maybe we need to dispatch somebody or something else to some of these scenes. And I want peace officers, individuals that are officers. They can they can make arrests and, and detain people in in some ways, but they are not carrying um, lethal weaponry with them to do that, right? People that can say, hey, you know what? We need to detain this individual because we need to get them off the streets. They're they're harming themselves, right? Like, and they can do that, but they're they they don't have a gun with them, right? They're peace officers. They have to use other tactics in order to reach the goal. I want to see those people um, inside of of the conversation. Uh, along with that, I I want to see um, police reform in in some ways where the accountability level is extremely high when people use some form of force. And what do I mean by by 
uh, high when that citizen oversight board says that this is a unhealthy um un uh unpolicy driven use of force this is an unhealthy use of force then i want that police officer's name um to be put on a list like we put anybody else on a list so that there can be um knowledge of that uh, publicly because if we're having somebody that has been given by the state the ability to have this weaponry and that's and, and and let me let me let me take a second and pause for the cause the difference between quote-unquote black-on-black crime the difference between white-on-white crime right the difference between killings that happen in 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 the community the difference between those and the killings that happen from the police officers is because the police have been given authority by the state to commit that crime to do that harm it's the state it's the government that has killed a citizen and we need to be explicit about that police are the government that are killing citizens which is vastly okay. different than anybody else and so part of that reform has to come from that being at the core of our understanding okay so let me short mine and then we're gonna we're gonna discuss all we're gonna try to unpack all that has been said in relationship to reform i don't think nobody needs to be in my neighborhood with a gun that i don't know i also don't think that you need to 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 be a police officer and you need to carry lethal weapons i think you i think if you're a constabulary you should be able to navigate uh the problems 90 percent of the people 95 percent of the the calls that police are on now are not violence calls they're calls they're domestic they're the cats in the tree you know the house on fire you know somebody's you know somebody's unconscious something like that so my question is why do you need a 50 cal and you know a, a ar-15 and you know two two nine millimeters on your on your person to come and make those calls so i the two issues for me number one if i don't know you i don't think you need to be policing okay period you know i don't think you should be, i don't think you should be coming inside my community trying to to police my community if i don't know you and if the community doesn't know you. and number two i don't think the police need to be uh um uh dressed in material uh military uh ordinance and presence in my community you are not a policeman you're a soldier okay and and if you're being a soldier then you're going to act out like byron said and uh for in relationship to the government i think if you're constabulary then you need to be dealing with that now with that being said let's have some discussion about these the ways that we're going to reform how is this reform at whatever in whatever perspective that we are bringing, how's this going to take place? How do we get this done? Anybody? I, I'll just start with when defunding don't necessarily have to be like taking all the money away from them, but reutilizing that money, whether it's for the training, whether it's for putting accountability in place, all that kind of stuff. But I, I, for me, we can reform a lot of things, but at the core of it, I think you really got to live in your community that you don't police, and living in your community is. And also, to what Byron said, giving the oversight committee is helpful. But if you, to your point, if you don't live next to me, you don't know me, there's no way you could be in a relationship with me. Uh, and, and, and that's important. I think also if you live in your community, it reflects the ratio of people that live within your community probably at a higher rate if you had to do some of that. Uh, and then it's important that the boy down the street is not the thug down the street because the boy down the street is so-and-so's son, which is so-and-so friend, which is actually my son. 
screen, right? It's a different kind of conversation. It's a different kind of way of being communal with somebody. Um, and for me, that's at the core of all of this. If you're not from the community, you can't come in giving me advice uh, about how you're going to change my community. And I think that's one of the most important things about policing in the community. Christina? I think to, I want to echo what Zeb said. Um, and even going from beyond the perspective of the police, but think for me, my field of social work, what is so infuriating to me is that when you see the constituency that social workers typically serve, we see um, most of them are brown and black people, but we have white people coming in and saying, hey, I'm going to give you this almost this white severe mentality. Um, and then there's also all these laws and these, these policies and procedures that we put in place in social service agencies um, that do more harm than they do good. And I am seeing the same thing being played out in police departments. We are seeing policies and procedures put in place that do more harm than good because you don't know who's in this community um and you don't know you don't know their culture you don't know any of these things and so everything to you from a narrative where you believe that your life is enormity you are then using that narrative to to determine how you deal with us um and that creates problems in and of itself because everything that we do that you feel is not of that normative you are seen as defiant um or you are seen as deviant and then you are acting upon what you believe is deviant. Um, I also would say that, like Deb said, talking about the defunding of police, for me, I just think that for our communities for a long time, there has been nothing that has been done to actually build our communities. So many times, money is put in, into things that further create make our communities look deviant or that just break down our communities. And so it doesn't make sense to me that we're constantly putting funding, we're constantly putting money in places that serve no greater good for our communities. You know, uh, if, if there were individuals, if there were individuals in the community, I don't know if you all saw this on 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 uh, television. The woman that was the funeral director got beat down in the in the parking lot. If folks in her community were part of the police force that were dealing with her, they would have known that she was the funeral director and not just some. And she was there watching, you know, watching over you know, some resources as opposed to them assuming that she was trying to, uh, to you know, uh, loot. If there were individuals who were in that community who had approached that car, they would, have been, they would have dealt with her differently. The militaristic attitude as well, I think, is a very important issue. Well, My question is, what happens, how are, we, how are we talking about reforming when essentially we're not, we're not reforming constabularies any longer? We, we're arming governmental agents that basically have military ordinance. What, yeah. What's up with that? But I think I think the, the example you just gave about the funeral director is a prime example of what a military does, right? See, the 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 the, the issue with the militarization of the police force is that it gives a military mindset. The op, the op, the, the the mindset of a military is to go into occupy, execute, and 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 holistically remove threats right so so they're going in with the with the consciousness that i don't live here the military when we send the military somewhere they don't live there their their job is to go there do a job come back home right we we don't send the military like we're not sending the military to their hometowns not yet it, you know like but like the, they're 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 going in there to eliminate threats right threats to national security threats to the the interests of the u.s threats um that you know one of our allies asked us to come in and deal with but they're not they're not going there 
to live there. See, the difference is, you're right, not only would they have known that that was the funeral director if they weren't operating as the military, the flip side, they would have thought twice about how they treated the funeral director because they got to go home down the street. And I guarantee you this, you can't wear that uniform all the time. You wear that uniform 40 hours a week, okay? You, you're not in blue uh, your whole life. I'm black every single hour of the day. You only blue 40 hours a week. And so let's not get it twisted. The difference is if they're from the community, they know they have to go back and live in the community. And when you have to live in the community, you have to operate in, in some clear guidelines based on maintaining that community. You ain't got to maintain the community if you don't live there. I get that. I get that. I, I think we all understand that. My question is, is then we, we all can agree that the police as it stands now are uh have a military presence uh, and also they are individuals who are coming from outside the community. They are not in the community. Can we agree we're, to that? We can agree to that, but I think also having this conversation about police, we also letting white folks off the hook, right? And so part of letting white folks off the hook is saying, uh, I want to live in a safe neighborhood. I want my kid to go to a certain neighborhood. So when you have white flight like you have in Valparaiso, you have what you have then in Gary. And so if the white people didn't leave some of that community, the way that they police those communities would be different, too. And so there's also a responsibility to have that part of the conversation when we're talking about police brutality. Wanted to okay. throw that out. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So, so, so how do we reform this then? Because we know if, if, it's, if it's 50 states, we know that there at least every little known, be it Hobart, be it Valparaiso, be it Crystal Lake, they have their own forces. And they see themselves as being, you know, the the uh, uh, protectors and servants of their communities. What about us in terms of those individuals who are in communities who are essentially invaded by this uh, military presence of, uh, of officers, if you will, that have no regard in terms of the people in the community? How do we change this? Is defunding enough? Is, is, is uh, taking money out of their hands and put it into social workers enough. How do we excise this military presence out of our communities? Or, or should we even think like that? Well, I, and I guess here's, I want to also, so I think we have to go to a conversation about our community, right? And I think this is a hard conversation that we haven't had is as is, is black folks in a minute, right? Is a clear understanding of what is our community. Right. I, there's no doubt in my mind that in Valparaiso, while there are black people in Valparaiso, there is very little by way of a black community in Valparaiso. And so I, I, I'm not getting twisted on that. There's like, where's the like, where's the black community? Right. In, in Valparaiso. And, by, and when I say community, I'm talking about six clear things. Right. That make a, a community. First of all, relationship with with like identities, right? There has to be some shared identity in the relationship between those shared identities. Number two, there has to be some form of ownership, right? You, got, you need to own the homes, right? You don't have a strong community if everybody there is a renter because that community can get dug up anytime uh, a landlord gets ready. Like number three, there has to be um, infrastructure that's targeted as a community. So there has to be libraries that are named after people with the same identities, books inside those places, um, churches, um, infrastructural things inside that community that are reflective of that identity. 
and then there has to be ownership inside that i mean not ownership there has to be economic fluidity or economic exchange right the dollar of the identities that are spending the dollar have to circulate multiple times inside that community for there to be um community then there has to be governance clear governance from a whether we're talking about a, a block like a block club like governance you know there has to be something over that block that says here's how we're operating inside this block all the way up to city level to state level there has to be some level of governance and then last but not least number six is the last thing that you have to have to have community is a commitment to the shared values that put that identity that put that community first that comes number one so if we're talking about those are the things that it takes to have community you you point to me where are the black communities well i mean i think that's a very good question but, but the question is is do i get my ass whooped until that happens, I mean, what, well, I don't, I don't think what, get, what, I don't, what happens? Well, I, mean, I don't think you get your ass. Am, am, so. am I deserving? Am I, am I deserving of, uh, of of decent policing? If I don't have that, I ain't got all them six. I got four. You I got two. But, but, but that's that what I get my but, ass No, no, no. But I, see, I that's got all of them but see, that's what I'm saying. Like, so we have to shift the conversation about um, these militarization folks coming into our community, right? We got to be careful. They're, they just they just policing us in the areas that we might be in, and so we got to take a different mentality, which is okay, I, I think a that. little bit we gotta we gotta come from a different I think mindset, which the reform to to answer this question, then I'll be quiet for a little bit. For me, the reform comes in some very clear punitive ways, right? Like because I think we're always gonna run up against. Um, the power structures, the, the folks that are benefited by having the police. So I think the only way we're going to get reform is if we get highly punitive with the people not living up to the things that we are expressing. I mean, I, I just came out of a meeting with, with individuals talking about we're going to study the policy of the police in a particular area. And then we're going to sit down with the police and talk about what works, what that. And my position is, but how many people are going to be hurt between the time that you study the policy and the policy is attempted to be changed. I mean, you know, how many people got it that? So, so I want you all to chime in on what's going to be a process of being uh, expeditious in dealing with this reform because the studies ain't happening. And, 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 and the kinds of things that you're talking about, Christine, I hear you. You're saying, okay, we need social workers. We need uh, folks in disability. We need people in mental health. We need people to, you know, to be able to uh, transfer resources into the community. How is that going to take place in these communities where, as Byron said, there is no black community. They're, they're, we're just being policed as residents in this particular area. How do you make that happen? So I think one of the things coming from Byron's point where there is, we might not have a community, we're just in this particular place. One of the things that for me has been very frustrating, I mean, I've seen some stand up but this is also that time for the white progressive, the white moderate who stands up and is, oh, I'm with you, and oh, I, ha you know, I want to, I want to come to the picnic. Okay, well, this is the picnic. Pull up, and so in saying pull up, that means those same people realizing the power that they have. There also needs to be for them, for them, this is their time to say, hey, we need to stand in the forefront. We need to say that these policies are not working. We need to say, hey, this we are seeing the police do that. And then you stand in those front lines, right? And so in that same way, when we're thinking about reform, um, so many times, if I'm saying areas like Geary, which is my hometown, 
for Gary, I will tell you, our first thing needs to be that we need to go back to a model where we are standing in the gap for one another. So that means that if there needs to be black men and women who are standing and you're looking out for one another, um, that we're watching to see how the police are acting and we're standing, we're saying, hey, no, you know, I had a friend, I was just using this example, I had a friend posted a post, a Facebook post the other day. She said she saw a couple of teenage boys getting pulled over by the police. And she followed in her car that police officer the whole time that they were talking. To, and then when the kids got, when the police officer left, she asked the kids what the police officer said. And they're like, oh, well, everything was okay. And they were walking home. But she followed these kids in their car, in her car till they got home to make sure that everything was okay. The grandma kind of waved and was like, you know, thank you. We have to get back to that, to watching out for ourselves and protecting ourselves because we realize that this reform is not going to come overnight. But in that same way, in areas like Valpo, where there's only a few black people, all those white people who are standing up and saying that they are allies and that they care, you need to put your feet to this pavement and you need to be making sure that you're also looking out um, so that you're calling out these injustices that are happening and that you're saying, hey, we need going down to City Hall. We need to have social workers here. We need to do X, Y, and Z. We need to have these quantitative, qualitative action steps as opposed to, I just, for me, these pretty little statements about Black Lives Matter doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Actually, so, they never, yeah. Okay, Zed, so, so, so you get in here on this, because, see, I, I'm, I'm from a community where, you know, I had five stop. So I didn't have to worry about, I didn't have to worry about uh, people on the outside. And I didn't have to be, Byron, I didn't have to be worried about being organized as a community. I had some brothers and sisters who, they didn't wait until we had those six things. They, they said, we don't give a damn if you got six or you got nothing. We're going to make sure that whoever come in the community is going to treat you fair and going to treat you right. And if not, it's on. Okay, so, uh, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't have, those brothers didn't necessarily have a criteria of, of what a community is or, or isn't. They simply said, you don't have a right to come in here and do things to us without us scrutinizing that and holding you accountable. You know, now, and, 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 and what I loved about it was they didn't just stay in their community. They'll break some turf. You know what I'm talking about, Zeb. You know, they'll break some <laughs> turf to make sure that, you know, what needs to go down, go down. Now, it was fraught with all sorts of conflict, but it still happened. So my question is, is, you know, what's the plan for us? And I'm, I'm going to move to the other topic because we need to talk about political reform. What do we need to do? whether or not we have partial communities or we don't have communities at all, or we have people isolated, whatever it might be, what do we need to do in order to begin the process? I, I, th I think part of it is everybody's alluding to it, but the, the main thing is we, we got to go back to, I think Christina said it, Byron has said it, you said it too, but not only is the, the police living in the community, but more so we are the community, and so we know that certain things are going on. We know who got single-family homes because we are in the neighborhood, we are in the community. And I'm not talking about police, I'm talking about brothers and sisters among ourselves, right? Uh, growth and development type of stuff, right? Making sure that it's, it's, it's time versus life. So I'm looking at these things in such a way that um, I'm taking care of the community because I'm not worried about the police coming in because we are the police to our community. And so before the police come to it, we already know it's handled. So we stopping the police in their tracks. Whether you want to look at a little bit of Malcolm X or you want to look at the Black Panther Party, Vice Lords, Gangster Disciples, all that kind of stuff. I think what makes us really tough right now is because the people that are sometimes in charge in those spaces are not allowing the kids to develop in the way that they did today. 
And so when you had the breakfast program sometimes happening in some of these communities right now, we're allowing that 12 and 13 year old not to go to school and sell drugs in that community sometimes. And so that's something that we're doing to rot down our community. And, and, and for me, I just think that we got to start not only taking back our community, but also um, the white people really just got to step up. Like it's a real connection there. Uh, there's no disconnecting it from there. And the only way that they're going to step up, I think about as we go on this topic and you want to talk about political reform, I can think we can do some amazing things. But if a lot white people keep allowing, whether it's bogus science, whether it's health conditions, whether it's whatever, to be the scapegoat why blacks are in the, those situations, uh, it's going to be tough. I think even if you do police reform, you still got to talk about redlining. You still got to be able to talk about loans and even if I want a loan to get out of my community, can I get the appropriate loan to fix up my house, right? Like, there's so many layers to that. And so police reform by itself cannot do it. Uh, okay. Us just working on ourselves can't do it. And so that's just, uh, you know, how I think about it a little bit. Byron, can, can, can white folks help us build those six things that you were talking about? No. Um, no. I don't think so. No. I don't think so. Actually, actually, I think the now they, they here's what, what they can do. I mean... Yeah, and, and I, I mean, and I say this, they, they can't they can't build those institutions, right? No, but I think no, what, they, what they can do is um, they can stop hindering the 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 building of those institutions, right? Like, and I think that's one of the things where we have to get into. Um, I was talking to some young cats the other day. I said, "How do we begin to? What can we do? We need to start building and growing." I said, "I think we need to stop confusing um, allies and and people that we build." Um, coalition with is the same thing as people that we build community with. Agree. And so we need to Whoa. make sure we need to make sure we understand Whoa. the difference between. Say that again. Say that again. Say that slow. We, Say that in slow motion. We need to stop confusing the people that we build allyship with and coalition with with the people that we should be building community with. And I think mm -hmm. that is, I like that. I like that. You like that? That that's 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 my time in the in the in the desert for the discernment. That's what I came up with. Is that where where we seem to be have this affinity where we want to build community with the folks that should only be our allies instead of uh, building um, coalition with those folks. I'm not saying we shouldn't have they back and they shouldn't have ours, right? I'm not saying that. Um, black and brown brothers and sisters and other groups, other people of color shouldn't like bond together and say, hey, we got some shared interest in this um, and we can go out and, and navigate it um, and get it together. I'm not saying that that shouldn't be the case. That's that's all good and fine. But those aren't the people we should be building the six things I mentioned with, right? Those are the folks that we should build those with. And it comes back to the, to the number six, which I think is probably the most important, which is the shared value. Right, the shared conceptual values that we're putting our um, needs first. And I think what's happened with black people, and, and, and folks are going to disagree with this, black people have always been in the business of, so far in this country, of taking everybody with us. Right? So if you look at in the 1950s and 60s, right, we said, no, nah, y'all come on, right? Like, so when legislation was passed, it helped everybody, right? It helped. It helped everybody, right? When we when we pushed and fought, and now we have something called uh, affirmative action, right? We can look historically and see that that's helped everybody, almost everybody but us, right? It's 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 mm -hmm. it, 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 the, the the greatest beneficiary of affirmative action have been white women, 
And so um, we can talk through those things. Like, and, and part of that is because we, we built some phenomenal communities with people that aren't us and our values end up having to take a back seat to the collective values of the community that we built with folks that were only supposed to be our allies and our collaborators. I'm not saying we're supposed to have beef with them. I'm just saying we're, you know, we're, we, we were supposed to be allies. Y'all weren't supposed to be the major community members inside of what we had. If you go back to even when we were talking historically about um, the Brown v. Board, if you go back and read what they were actually asking for, they were asking for a fair distribution of the economic resources necessary that were going to white schools to also go to black schools. They were talking about an economic distribution, right? Um, they were saying separate isn't equal because y'all ain't giving the money right across these things. Like black folks is paying taxes just like white folks are paying taxes and we ain't getting a fair distribution. That was that conversation. What they did to fix it was the desegregation methodology, right? Which in my opinion, how, 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 however you see that, right? We have not been desegregated as a nation, um, even started in the 1960s, right? Like we haven't been desegregated. And what ended up happening was that we ended up sacrificing a generation and uh, in, in a couple generations of our beautiful black children because we sent them into white hell known as the schools of desegregation to be educated by people that didn't love them. And so one of the uh -huh. things that we one of the things that we have to be mindful of is that while we can build some alliances and we should, while we can build some coalition, we don't need to confuse building coalition um, with other folks as the same thing as building community. And we need to okay. do those in the okay. appropriate spaces. Get in this my disability uh, accommodation folks. What, what's up with that? Do y'all agree yeah. with this brother or not? I, I agree with him too, but I think uh, I also want to be clear that when you're talking about white folks doing their job, it ain't necessarily saying that you build a community. I don't need to have no community with a white person to care about a black person. And so I just want to be clear on those things. It's, it's not necessarily conflating that. I think white folks need to do their job all the way, but we going to do our job and build our community. You don't even have to step foot in my community, urban community, Gary, west side of Chicago, east Texas, any of that, for you to do your job as a white person and make sure that White folks' whiteness ain't putting pressure on my black body, my melanin, you know? And so that's why I want to be clear with making sure white folks do, do, do they do they part. I 100% agree with that. And the way that happens is through coalition and allyship. The way they know right. that they're not doing that is because we have allyship, we have coalition. Allyship and coalition ain't enough. I can be an ally and I can go in Gary and go to church and I can hear water and I said back to that boy sleeping with that type of stuff your yeah, coalition sound good ally you need all of that but I need you to be doing a little bit more than that right that's almost like the liberals right it looked good on the outside what do you know chime in here Christine what do you think what do you think don't let these come on Zeb, I will argue that that's not allyship or that's not for real coalition I think that that's passive oh I'm doing something so I can go to sleep at night to support to help suppress my white guilt in this moment. But that's not truly allyship. That's not truly coalition. And I think that's what people have continuously done is believe that they're allies. First off, you can't say you're an ally. My issue is that so many people are walking around saying that they're allies. Like, how do you give yourself a title? You can't do that. Like, you need to allow <laughs> Tell me, me so the Tell the me to give you that title, to say that you're allyship, and that's given because of what you've proven to me through your actions. 
don't give don't come down with the uh, come a food pantry and say I'm handing out some bread. I'm handing out some old canned goods and then saying, oh, therefore I am now an ally and I'm doing work in your community. But at your and now your community, you got whole foods and your people are living while my community continues to be a food desert or a food dump because people often say, oh, well, it's not a food desert because you have grocery stores. But in your in my grocery stores, my produce is no good. In my grocery stores, my kids can get substantial food for their health and if they do the grapes that cost 50 cents in your neighborhood cost two dollars my neighborhood but we're living off of a food stamp budget which means that therefore i have to decide whether i make food last or whether it's healthy and so that has continuously been my issue when we talk about allyship and coalition is that we're not holding people's foot to the fire to make sure that they're actually doing what they need to do to help help our communities and i get what byron is saying about you know we need to build our communities in and of itself but at some point, I do think that they need to have to play a part in building that community to a certain extent because it is their, it is them who have broken our community. The fact that you came in and you burnt things down, the fact that you came in and that you took resources, the fact that you didn't, when you said, oh, Brown versus Board, that you took all of our qualified teachers and people were so ready to move into these white neighborhoods so they could feel like they're accepted to be a part of this elitist and classes and things where they were never wanted. No, you have a part in rebuilding this, which that which you have broken because so many times we have built your communities this nation was built on our back so now you need to you need to stand in the gap you need to help build and then you need to allow us to flourish within the black community so once you help build that you go on about your way because once we built our stuff once we built your stuff i'm sorry you didn't invite us in you didn't let us in we just built it and then you went on yeah but i okay, I, so I can agree with that wait, 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 i can agree wait, with wait, that wait, i can wait, hold wait, on wait, let me i gotta get this in i gotta get this in i gotta get it in this just real quick i'll be i'll be half a minute station break this is wvlp 103.1 on your fm dial and we are doing morning black talking about political reform and police reform in the african-american community and i gotta get to our program Back to our program. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because like I, I agree with you, sis, but they don't need to come in and build it. You they just as allies, you just need to send the resources. We'll build it ourselves. We we will build it ourselves. You just need to send the resources, right? Like you just need to send you like in the words of Huey, you need to pay what you owe. The reason I don't want them coming in and building is because that has not worked. Historically, we haven't seen that work before. We haven't seen folks able to come in and, and build something and, and leave it to their own devices. The other piece of that that is so important, the other piece of that that's so important is we have to learn from building. There are so many things and so many skills and attributes that we learn from building that if we have the resources, like like every other community that's had the resources to make some some mistakes, but they, they had the resources to field and eat those mistakes and still keep building, we will learn some important aspects as a community from building together without okay. the influence and the leadership and the paternalism of of the other communities of these allies. Let me just say this. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. I, I need to get Zebediah in, and then I need to give you a couple of factoids. So, so Zeb, come on in. So, so I, I agree with everything y'all saying on ally and collage. Uh, being uh, allyship and all that kind of stuff, coalition and stuff. I think that's fine and dandy. Give us the resources. Don't come in. Let us build our community. If you want to be an ally to Zebediah Hall, you want to be in coalition with Zebediah Hall, let some black folks write the curriculum for your kids in the K-12 system. You white people want to be allies to Zebediah and Valpo, go to the Valparaiso School Board 
and have you them teach your kids about systematic racism so they can grow up deconstructing systematic racism. This picture is bigger than just us in our own community, and that's why I agree with Christina on that. Like, for me, allyship is teaching your kids in your K-12 system that Christopher Columbus don't exist. That's not taking more content out about multicultural things and stuff like that. Start to really teach these kids that actually Africans taught Europeans and things like that so they can start to unpack, so they can deconstruct this way past everybody that's on the screen. That's allyship. That's you just giving me resources. You can give me resources and keep me in the corner all day long. I want okay. to keep my corner of the community, but I need you to stop putting your back and blowing us up and everything else. And I think we have to be careful about how resources are distributed in our community. I, if uh, I just uh, saw a uh, interesting uh, project that where, where African American uh, not for profits were identified to give to businesses who have been impacted by some of the protests, and they wanted to give them some money to to recoup some of the loss. Uh, the whites, the overall program, the whites inside the program were getting twenty thousand, fifty thousand, you know. Uh, uh, $100,000. The blacks who were getting the money, same money, was getting $1,500, $3,000, and things of that nature. So how money is distributed? And, and, and I was talking to an uh, ally the other day, and I said it, it's interesting that when we talk about doing things so that we can reform, it's always in the self-interest of the folks who are having that conversation who are outside the community. Rarely do we hear the, the, the notions of reform being talked about from people who are inside those communities who are being impacted by it. We hear when, when those coalitions are formed, Zebediah, those for, they are formed by individuals who have already navigated their own interests inside doing the good in that community. So that's something that we're going to have to monitor very closely when we start talking about user, utilizing whatever resources that come in. Oftentimes, people, I, I, I mean, people benefited from Black Wall Street. Okay, and got 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 resources from Black Wall Street, and then when Black Wall Street was burned down and Tulsa was burned down, there were other people who benefited from that. So we need to be careful about how that's going. Now I want us to push out, push our way toward this whole. What's the political agenda that we should be trying to look at when we start talking about reform? Because I, I kind of feel that this way. I don't think, I don't see white people defunding the police. I don't see white people saying restructuring and reforming the police. I don't see them doing that because it's not in their self-interest. I just don't see it. I, if it happened, praise God. But I don't see them saying, you know, no, we're going to take the money that we were doing that and what we're going to do is we're going to stop what they're doing and we're going to reform that, reformulate that so that it serves other people. I would be very surprised if that takes place. So there's going to have to be a political agenda that we set that's going to specifically appeal to those who are residents or in communities or are allies to make that happen. What are some of those things that need to happen? Give me at least one or two things that need to happen for that political forum to take place. What what do people, Christina, what what do Garyites need to do to form the political tools or mechanism or model to make this this real? And so I know this is just giving you an exact thing about what political, like a one-step thing on that, because I think for, for first for me, for Gary, we have to understand that people have to understand politics, right? And so, like, okay, so I'm seeing, I'm getting the time. Okay, so I'll rush this. We have to first, as a community, understand politics. We have been taught 
we have been taught very little about politics and because of that we don't know how to vote we don't know how to get things passed we don't know what reform looks like we don't know any of those things and because we don't know that we suffer because who's passing those ballots is doing those things are people who don't have our interests in mind and so they because they don't have our interests in mind we are continuously going to the wayside or we bought into this narrative that oh our vote doesn't matter or we we can't do anything about it so we're just going to become complacent and we can't do that we as a people can't do that because that's what they want us to do that's why they they disenfranchise us because we know that in numbers we have power but we continuously don't act in that power okay okay so we got about 10 minutes left in this particular program right uh and we didn't get to the the the, the black political agenda yet so i want you all to kind of speak to that and maybe we can do a part two so for the rest of the time let's see if we can come up with just as christina has come up with what what do we need to do politically i mean what's step one so i think i think step one right like is to have like an actual political meeting um in 1972 in gary indiana there was the national black political convention that was held right um right right hosted right. by by mayor ron hatcher right and and then Harold washington was there and then you know and then um uh charles diggs were were like some of the ones that uh uh and and baraka was there right like was helping like un, underpin and guide this but they came up with some some clear things, some clear issues that they wanted to push forth as a collective national black agenda. And they got literally uh, politicians, actors, people with resources from all over the nation to come and be a part of that in 72 to move some things forward. So I think one of the things that we have to do is that we have to determine, number one, we need a black agenda period. And we're going to get together annually to produce what we need to do and to right side what we need to do as um as a political front right so i think i think that's that's the first thing we have to say that we need a collective one um number two i think we have to be clear that most most of the things especially in a capitalist society are tied to money and so i think the first thing we have to do is to see how we are going to empower and infuse um economic power into the black community number one right like, I, I think that, that before we do anything, we need to figure out how we're going to get money in the black community. And not the money that we already have that we're spending on different things and the trillion dollars of, of buying power that we have. I'm talking about circular uh, economic fluidity, right? Like, so how do we have money and money to spare in the black community to do with as we need to, right? So how do we undergird um, our, our, our poorest with at least a basic wage, a basic annual income, that can ensure that they have money to take care of their basic needs. That can ensure that they don't have to say, you know what, I'm only going to depend on this, um, you know, we call it text card where I'm from, but I'm only going to depend on the, the food stamps or the 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 the, 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 the Long Star card <laughs> in Texas to get what I need, right? Like I'm I I I'm going to have a basic ways that undergirds everything that I do and undergirds the, the black community. And then finally. Um, I think we have to push in some very clear ways to make sure that black people are at every single governance table in the USA. Every single one. We have to ensure that we're there. And when I say we are there, I mean the individuals that are selected to be there, their whole being, their whole premise for being there is to make sure that the black voice is represented 
um, and that we do that unapologetically. I think those have to be the starting concepts that we have to get into. All right, Zeb, you got it. You're going to take it home for us. Uh, I think uh, Byron alluded to the three things that we need to talk about. I'll say something, and then I'll add to the three things that he listed. The first thing I would say um, is going back to that principle that we keep alluding to. I think we need to be really entrenched in our community and know the people within our community. Uh, just my neighbor, the person on the next block, we need to get there. And, and that got to all come from love, truth, peace, freedom, and justice. And that's my stand on that. When we talk about this national black political meeting, uh, I think it needs to happen. And I think that we can't be afraid of it to happen. And I think it has to happen with people that only look like us, even if other people want to give us resources, is what I would say to that. I think what we also got to address is classism within the blackness of who we are, because we don't want it to then monopolize into the people that we don't want to be that's oppressing us right now. So I think that's highly important. I think when he talks about being at the table, I think that's so highly important in our day-to-day. How real can we be in our meetings when we sit at the tables that we actually sit at? One of the things that I keep trying to explain to people and I explain it to everybody, there's nothing that's going on with George Floyd. There's nothing that's going on with black and brown bodies that are, are, are passing away due to COVID that's not going to be whitewashed. And the reason it's whitewashed is because black minds and bodies and souls is not sitting at those tables. And so, you know, when people come to me and ask me personally, and my boss came to me and said, what do you want? And like, there's nothing that you can do because there's nobody that's sitting in your cabinet that looks like me. Well, personally, her cabinet is two black people, but outside of that, in the cabinet that she sits in, it's not. There's a person that does cultural diversity, but it's not a black person. And I'm not saying it always has to be a black person. But to Byron's point, if we're not at the table, that doesn't help the conversation. For example, you can have well-intended white people. But that plan is still not going to be what the plan needs to be because it's not the black bodies and souls and minds creating that plan for the black body, souls and minds. You know, one of the things we need to do is once we do all three of these things that he executed, then maybe if they want to help, they can then get resources only where we see fit controlled by us. I think about when you talk about resources, I think about the Black Panther Party, you know, when he was trying to give them resources. No, I don't want them kind of resources because I know what you're up to. Right. So we got to be mindful of who we even take money from. Who you get money right? from. You yeah. can't be so caught up on the dollar that you take it and you be a part of something that you don't want to do and it actually goes against your mission. And I think all that is highly important. I think sometimes we got some people that take money from big businesses and don't realize it. I think the biggest thing we got to stop doing, and this is me coming from this standpoint of having a white wife, we got to stop giving white people passes. White people don't get passes. We give too many white people passes. We give Clintons passes. There's more people incarcerated under Clinton. Stop giving white folks passes. Let them do their job. Let them love us. My wife loves me, but she don't get a pass. And that's part of our problem. Stop giving passes to white people. All right. Well, I think we got to do Would you all commit to a, a part two? Hello? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's we, got, we definitely got to do a part two because I think we didn't ate up this time. If, 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 if I'm looking at Byron's eyes right, I think we are we just about done. Oh, yeah. We're at, we're at the mark. Well, until next time, we're going to continue to do Morning Black, dealing with these issues that are impacting uh, the African-American community. We, we got off into police reform. We talked a little about political reform, but we haven't talked as much as I think we need to about the black national political agenda. But we did begin a good one on that. I want to remind you of what Byron gave us. Byron, you said we need to have a, a national uh, a conference, black national political black conference. National political convention, yes. Convention. Yep. We also need to do what? We we need to have a we black to, convention. 
We, we need to make sure. We need sure to talk about money into the black community. The, we need to talk about resources in the, the black community to undergird. And then we get, and then we need to have black presence. And, and so next time, wait, wait. There's a four. There's a four. We put it in there because we gotta go. We gotta infuse the disability, the mental health, and taking care of that aspect of the black community as well. We gotta infuse the disability, the accommodations, the mental health, the social work, all the things that Christina was alluding to earlier. That gotta be our fourth pillar. We gotta wrap it up that way. And we'll, we'll probably need to find another pillar as well. Until next time, morning, black.